From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. My introduction to John Travolta wasn't in a movie theater or on television. I was too young for Welcome Back, Cotter, and certainly Saturday Night Fever, but I remember in the 1970s when he started showing up in every other magazine, movie poster, and lunchbox at my elementary school. By the time I saw one of his films in a theater, I'm guessing it was Look Who's Talking, I thought of him as this sort of untouchable celebrity icon. So I was surprised when I met Travolta last week and found out he's still a fan, too. In his new film, The Fanatic, he plays an on-the-spectrum fan named Moose, who meets his celebrity hero, has horrible experiences, and the bad vibes escalate to full-on horror. It wasn't a stretch for Travolta to tap into some of those feelings. Here he is talking about an early bad encounter with a big-name celebrity, he doesn't name names, and how it influenced his own behavior. Okay. Before I was famous, I was in a Broadway show that went uh, for one week to, um, anyway, the middle of the country to do it. And there was a very big film actor that was uh, was there, and I went to meet him, and he just, um, I interrupted the dinner to meet him, and he was not happy with that at all. Yeah. And he just kind of, you know, shrugged me off, and the person that was with him said, you really shouldn't have done that. And I felt terrible about it, but I realized that that had more effect on me. Uh, my ill-mannered gesture um, was not nearly the amount of effect that his um, being upset had on me. Uh-huh. So I decided then that when when and if I became famous, that I would kind of really try to clock that and not and not and and just know and understand that people get excited to meet you and that it's okay and that you know they may not be thinking because they're too excited or they might not think they have another chance to meet you and the fanatic is out august 30th in theaters nationwide including the roxy in san francisco shout out to the roxy which seems to be thriving after several near-death experiences let's all go there so none of us have to write any more roxy might be closing stories This was a fun conversation with Travolta, centering on fandom. We talk memorabilia. I ask about his newly shaved head. It's permanent, he says. And we begin and end talking about history, shuffling through some San Francisco Chronicle archive photos from the John Travolta file that we've been keeping since 1975. I think Travolta was tied with Paula Poundstone and the Ear Hustle hosts, Irlon Woods and Nigel Poor, in terms of the big event guests who have enthusiastically geeked out on the Chronicle archive. We're your concierge for culture in the Bay Area. I'm Peter Hartlob, and this is The Big Event. Welcome to the big event. Welcome to the San Francisco Chronicle, John Travolta. I'm, you know, I'm so blown away by this atmosphere right now with all these files, but more specifically, these photographs that you have of me that I haven't seen since they were taken. <laughs> but moreover, I love the actual photographs. These are pictures of me in a DC-3 I had, an old airliner, yeah. and and and. Um, and, and one of the planes that I haven't seen any pictures of me. And so it's so subjective right now, my excitement, that uh, anyway, I'm really glad to be here. But I'm glad you like this. I assumed you had all of it. 
No, and you, the funny thing is, a couple of these are my favorite pictures I've ever taken. So that's why I'm even more excited because it just exemplified a, a time in my life that was a pinnacle for me. Do you know? And uh, anyway, why? Well, let's go. Let's go way back um, before. I think we have your one of your first headshots here from 1975. But what about before that? Were you a fan? Were you someone who? Oh, I'm still a fan. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm. I'm utterly the def- that's why I did the movie The Fanatic because I understood this character from pure basis of being a fan. Yeah. I also understand being an, a film actor, but I more have more kind of a soft spot for being a fan. What know? what was what was one of the first fan experiences you remember? Um Oh, there's so many, but um okay, uh I idolized Jimmy Cagney, the film actor and uh I went out of my way to meet him, and I did, and it was utterly a great experience, and he didn't disappoint. We were friends mm-hmm. for five years, and there were many more like that, with Barbara Stan, with Bar- Marlon Brando. Um, you met Marlon Brando? Five years I was his friend, the last oh. five years of his life. Wow. Well, I, I, I got to ask, um, so The Fanatic, you play moose yes. a, uh, and and when i heard this movie was coming out i assumed you were the celebrity that was gonna have i, I don't like using the word stock because yes well he's mistaken as a stalker because in his mind he's not and i play yeah. this guy i play is a is a man child he's on the spectrum to some degree that's why he does the odd things that he does and the takes of things that he has so um but you know equally important uh He's misunderstood as a fan, and he's in the the movie star thinks he's a stalker. Uh-huh. Do you know? And I want to ask you: Did you have any bad experiences when you were young? No, yeah, not really. I mean, I've had a a few uh, scary ones where I just didn't understand the situation. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, I just recalled uh, London, uh, the opening of Greece, uh, where the ca- the car ceiling. Uh, Roof caved in, almost caved in with fans. <laughs> okay. But that was a different kind of mass hysteria, you know. Um, and then a, a couple people were had gotten into my house, you know. Oh. Um, but um, not ill-intended, if you will, you know, not not kind of with any other agenda, really, than to meet me. This movie is a lot of things. Um, I mean, there are horror movie elements, but it's very understanding about fandom I was working for the LA Daily News and um, covered a lot of celebrity stuff. And I met this guy who um, took kids around. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it was like in a van or something to go and get autographs. I couldn't believe he was talking to me. I wrote a story out of this. And I, I mentioned this because I asked him, who are the two nicest celebrities to deal with? Or who are the nicest celebrities to deal with? And he said, Jackie Chan and John Travolta. Oh, really? <laughs> so, wow. So I'm wondering about your own code. I mean, early on, did you decide that you were yes. going to be a pretty I'll easy person? I'll tell you person? the exact story without naming the name. Okay. Before I was famous, I was in a Broadway show that went uh, for one week to, um, anyway, the middle of the country to do it. And there was a very big film actor that was uh, was there, and I went to meet him, and he just um i interrupted the dinner to meet him and he was not happy with that at all yeah and he just kind of you know shrugged me off and the person that was with him said you really shouldn't have done that and i felt terrible about it but i realized that that had more effect on me Uh, my ill-mannered gesture um was not nearly the amount of effect that his um 
being upset had on me uh-huh. so i decided then that when when and if i became famous that i would kind of really try to clock that and not and not and and just know and understand that people get excited to meet you and that it's okay and that you know they may not be thinking because they're too excited or they might not think they have another chance to meet you and all that kind of thing so i i guess i i had a moment of understanding about it and decided then not to to uh complicate it doesn't that get hard at times i mean you must have bad days and, and you do get but tired. then you navigate when you go out you if you're not in the frame of mind to do it then don't go yeah do you know don't go out or find a way to do it where it's not going to affect you or affect others adversely yeah it's your you know it's it you have to let's say really comprehend that who you are and the effect that you have so you're be silly to you'd be silly not to 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 incorporate that in your thinkingness you know well we're looking at these photos and um we have that early headshot um are your memories of of those early years are, are they positive uh yes and and are you looking at let me look at the headshots you're looking at yeah are you thinking of like I'm thinking that one, one right there. I think okay, that's well, 75. It was Cotter days. So that um this is all welcome back Cotter. And of course, I was an actor prior to that. So my real first headshot would have been earlier than this and this is from Blowout. Which <laughs> I love that photograph. Uh-huh. All these I haven't seen in years. Oh my god. Some of them I've never <laughs> seen. That's staying alive. This is Urban Cowboy. This is uh that's moment by moment. This is just Kelly and I when we were engaged. Me, Lily, and who else is this? Oh, Barishnikov and I. Wow, look at that. I, I should mention this is, you know, the Chronicle's been around since the 20s, so w- we have files of people in here. We have, you know, Dwight D. Eisenhower um, parading through San Francisco with ticker tape. Um, but this is about 40... 40, 45 years of, of our coverage of John Travolta, all of these photos are usually something that appeared in the newspaper at some point. Well, you have a phenomenal collection. <laughs> yeah. and, and, you know, to think that I haven't seen some of these pictures or sketches um, is probably a pretty big uh, achievement Yeah. for that. Wow, it's exciting. But anyway, yeah, th- this would not, these would not be my first. These would be my second, well, let's say third uh headshots here's me from a baby to a nine-year-old to Vinny. nice <laughs> <laughs> uh oh yeah david sheehan gosh memory lane man yeah look at this well yeah um these are great and you do have a outstanding collection of rarefied photos <laughs> john travolta photos yes wow so good okay so i was digging through here yeah and the one thing that I noticed is there is no role, and you've played a lot of different kinds of roles. You've played the heavy, you've played the good guy, you've played comedy, singing, dancing, nothing like your character in The Fanatic. Are, you, are you looking for that? Are you, are you at this point looking for well, if you, new if challenges? You, if you scan through my career and, and kind of uh, certain uh, characters I've played, they're, they're all very different. I mean, you know, I played a, a woman in, in uh, Hairspray, I played Edna, and mm-hmm. That's you know, I quite different from the other roles, or or you know, in the O.J. Uh, limited series, I played Robert Shapiro, very different, and um, 
so there I, I try to to vary that probably the only big difference in this character he's he's um you know um unique in his behavior uh but um all the earlier characters have from playing you know primary color played clinton uh, they're all been very different you know as far as my re recall of the choosing of them was kind of well this would be unique yeah you know playing pulp fiction that seemed unique you know so i've always felt that i i was more attracted to um differentiation of 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 characters you know so moose is um let's explain a little bit uh I felt like Asperger's, maybe yeah. a little bit autistic yeah. on the spectrum. He's on the spectrum, yes. Um, he's uh, adult, living in Hollywood, um, has some friends. He's got his pack, but he's working out, making his way on Hollywood Boulevard. Um, and he's bullied, but handles it. He seems to... Well, he's he's... What I figured was that all the people that have bullied him throughout his whole life uh, were people that he clocked as... Uh, ill-intended you know the the drug um, drug dealer the um the the thief so he in his own mind thought well they're not they're they're not considered you know doing something decent anyway so therefore it's not surprising that they're bullying me mm -hmm. he put them in a category but when his movie star idol puts him in a category of a stalker it confuses him it discombobulates him and it it's utter overwhelm and he he does things that he shouldn't do because he wants to prove to this movie star that he's a, an honorable fan not a professional fan he doesn't sell his memorabilia or anything and he he loves this guy and wants him to love him back yeah you know i approach uniqueness in characters and i approach uh, the writing of, is the writing good you know yeah. so whether i play a bad guy or a good guy or an eccentric guy how is the writing you know yeah if you do a civil action and Steve Zalian, who wrote Schindler's List, is writing it, you said, "Well, this is good stuff." You know, I'm I'm gonna I'm going to be able to really uh, play something here. Yeah. You know, so it's more about that. You know, I love the depiction of Hollywood Boulevard. I, I lived in Los Angeles for four years, and I didn't know anything about Los Angeles except that I love movies. So I'm like, I'm gonna live the closest to the coolest movie theaters there: the Chinese Theater, Cinerama yeah. Dome. And the Vine. Egyptian, yeah. um, I saw Tarantino at the Vine a couple really? times. It was wow. earlier in his career. This is the 90s. Um, you guys captured Hollywood Boulevard accurately, which does not get done. I mean, usually it's in a montage where they show sun shining off a, a star and then they move on. Um, I wanted to ask you your own relationship with Hollywood Boulevard and, and if the authenticity was something that attracted you. It, it did, and I love the, it's. It's more of an underbelly, you know. Quentin Tarantino has a romance with Hollywood, and and examines a certain kind of under uh, underworld of that. But uh, this one is 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 more of a tragic side of Hollywood, you know. Um, maybe to differentiate in Pulp Fiction, for instance, at Jack Rabbit Slims, there's the romanticized Marilyn Monroe. James Dean walking through the restaurant when Uma and I are walking through. In this movie, it's it's a Marilyn Monroe <clears throat> or other major stars dressed up, you know, actors dressed up as those trying to make money being those people on a boulevard in front of the Chinese theater. And there are all sorts of complicated people that are 
and, and there's a it moves into more of a poignancy about them in this movie versus you know the the other side they're both valid viewpoints of hollywood it's just that one is a very kind of i don't want to say tragic because these people are enjoying what they're doing yeah but to the viewer it may seem wow people really make a living being a bobby cop you know <laughs> or poking a a, 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 a a nail through their nose to create money and and you know how we describe it anyways i i saw all those guys by the way when yeah. i lived there um uh, but I, there's a line in the movie uh, uh, that Moose says, he doesn't respect Hollywood, I respect Hollywood. Yes. And I felt like Fred Durst, who, Fred Durst from Limp Bizkit, Fred Durst, yes. writer and director. Correct. Um, I felt like he was trying to say something there, you know, with that line and with this movie in terms of his view of, of Hollywood and how people see it. Yes, and also that, that he believed this character did have a very clean respectful view of in his own mind that he he honored the tradition of hollywood yeah you know and uh i i think it was a great character attribute he's a this guy is very pure about his love for celebrity and his love for hollywood and and um he is a very you know and and, and also when he's saying that this actor that he loves so much made bad choices and you know he's also got some savvy yeah <laughs> in his perspective but he's yeah. saying he loved him anyway, even though he made wrong choices in films. He he still it, it's a, a very clever script in that in that way, you know. Yeah, and the ending takes some fantastic turns. I wish we could talk about it, but we're going to go spoiler free on uh, yes. on the ending. The, the ending is one of the more uh, <laughs> shocking endings of a film, you know. I think. Yeah. Uh, you never expect the film to go there. Yeah. And I I, I can just. I can just see people in the audience going, oh, no, we're not going there, are we? I can't believe it. You know. Well, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your own fans again. And, and uh, you have these periods. Um, you know, my wife yes. is Greece. I'm Pulp Fiction. Um, I'm sure there are people who are younger who know you for American Crime Story. Can you tell when someone's coming up to you, like just by the look in their eye, what movie or genre they're going to want to talk to you no, about because it, it 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 always surprises me i had a big burly cop come up and say his favorite movie was a love song for bobby long <laughs> and it was like the last movie i thought he would i thought he'd say broken arrow or face off or something yeah but he loved bobby long you know you have you know a teenager saying oh america uh, 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 what's the paris of love you know it so varies you yeah. know i i and it's one of the points of pride for me i really like that that different people from all different ages and eras uh like different films uh that's my mosaic that's what i wanted at the end of my career i wanted to say well when i reflect back did it do enough of a variety of things that uh, it caught various audiences in ways that you know they was their favorite yeah. or something you know yeah i i love the deep cuts um i interviewed Rob Lowe once and I thought I was asking him too many questions about Youngblood and, and then oh, I found out it wasn't enough nobody ever asks him about yeah, Youngblood well, he, he's, he's so much fun to, <laughs> to interview with I, I did a co-interview on, on after with um, the OJ thing and he was so wonderful to rapport have a, a, a communication with well, I, I love the memorabilia in this there's a bunch of little Easter eggs if people are movie fans I think I saw a, a 
Falco 16 jersey from the replacements right. being worn <laughs> by one character. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, uh, your own your own I mean you're, you're saying you've seen these photos for the first time do you keep stuff do you have I give little memorabilia a, I give most of it away from films because I I just have this perspective on it that others may enjoy it more I mean I lived it you know so yeah. if I did Urban Cowboy or I did Pulp Fiction then maybe an item that I have from that movie someone else would even get a bigger kick out of uh-huh. as opposed to my holding on to the memory I give that you know Gene Siskel had my white suit and Jane Fonda bought that suit because it meant more to them at the time. Do, do you know? And it's okay. You know, <laughs> I, I like that. You yeah. Know, I like I like the idea that you share the wealth there. You know. I, I look at your movies and I think you must have the best wardrobe trucks and hair and makeup experiences. I mean, just looking at Saturday Night Fever to Grease to Pulp Fiction, but the fanatic um, Hawaiian shirts. Haircut, I can't describe it. It's kind of a mullet, but uh, talk to me about that. I mean, this character well, okay, in dressing well, let's room. With, and, let's start with the haircut. Fred said, um, I said, Fred, I, I don't know how to, I, I, I'm, I'm concerned about the hair. I don't know what to do with it. He said, well, what do you think about a mullet? I said, oh, gosh, gee, I don't know. You know, 80s mullets, maybe no. He said, well, you know, there are different kinds of mullets. And I said, okay. And I looked at about 100 None of them indicated, and then boom, there was this dude on the internet with that exact haircut that Moose has, with with um, rimless glasses. Uh-huh. And I said, I found it, and I, I superimposed <laughs> that haircut and glasses on my face, uh-huh. and sent it to, um, sent it to Fred. Okay. And he said, I agree. That's it. And then the the, the um, Hawaiian shirt, the, the kind of you know, surfer shorts with bad sneakers. Yeah. It was just a natural, you know, that, that, you know, you see that and it just seemed correct. I got to back you up. So are you imagining this guy with that haircut going to this movie and just going, that's pretty fly. That's <laughs> it could be. Although I think on him, it weird. When I saw the guy on the internet, it did weirdly look great on him. He's a yeah. young guy, you know, he's like right. probably 21 or something. So to him, it, it, you know, it fit better than an older man, wearing it is just peculiar on him it looked like okay you know I, he's got his viewpoint on it and it's he's being different and that's cool you know that kind of thing yeah and then i gotta ask you we bonded on this a little bit coming in um i'm a bald man i've been shaving my head i was so thrilled to see that you have have shaved your head <laughs> Thanks. and i'm hoping it's permanent it is it is permanent not yeah. in movies because you have to do what the role asks you to do yeah but I, I had more relief just shaving my head. It's so much easier to live life with it shaved. And family kind of approved of the move. And I took a risk and I photographed it, put it online. And it had such an overwhelming reaction that I said, you know what? This is it, man. This is the way to go. This is easier for me, more loved than my having hair. And uh, I'm going to go with it, you know. For years and years, my role model was really Bruce Willis, and then we had Jason Statham. So adding you to that, I think it, I think it looks fantastic. Thank you. Um, wanted to just end a little bit. You were walking in and looking at our China Clipper photos, mm. and I wanted to ask you a little bit about planes. Sure, um, And we'll, we'll get you these photos of you with the DC-3, but uh, where did that start? When I was four or five years old, I was at home, 
uh, in the backyard of the house I grew up in, the planes would fly fairly low over the, maybe they're at 2,000 feet or something, but mm-hmm. that's low, on a takeoff trajectory. And um, they were airliners, and you could almost see the insignia. And in those days, right before the jets, um, they were slower moving across the sky. So you really had this kind of wonderful uh, viewing of them for about five minutes from looking, anticipating them, and then disappearing into the distance. So I had this visceral thing with it, and I just thought, where are they going? Who's on board? They look so beautiful up there, and I just wanted to be part of it. And then my sisters started to fly, going to you know, theater uh, bookings and what have you, and, and I fell in love with airports then. And so then this became this go-to, if you want to get out of your head moment in life, go to the airport, go on a plane, kind of obsession. Yeah, so yeah. early on you were you were yeah. training, flying, what, welcome at, back at, Cotter years? At 50, uh, yes, before, way before. At 15 years old, I uh, started, I collected memorabilia, airline tickets, uh, schedules from let's say five until I still do it. But at about 15, I started taking lessons because I worked at a supermarket and I put all my money toward those lessons each week. And then when I got on Broadway, I was able to make enough money to get a license. Yeah. So how often are you flying now? Almost every day, really? five days a week. And uh, we're looking at the China Clipper photos. Yeah, uh, so fabulous. I mean, a lot of history here in the Bay Area and Treasure Island. Treasure Island. I mean, it started this like really romantic era of flying, flying boats with flying living rooms, basically. And people went for hours. You know, I think it took about 16 hours to fly to Hawaii yeah. from here, from San Francisco. And But they did it. They luxuriated the whole way. So it was a very romantic era for flying. You ever fly out of the sea? Have you uh, yeah, a couple times. You have? Yeah, yeah. With smaller seaplanes. Yeah, very yeah. cool. Very cool. Well, I appreciate you coming here. Um, I always get so excited when people like the archive. You know, sometimes oh. people come in, look at a couple of photos. Oh, that's interesting. And, you know, oh, no, no, you, you yeah. like you dived in. I could I could <laughs> sit here for days and look through your archives. I love. They used to call me when I was a kid, my sister, because I knew every date, every time I did, when things happen what have you so she called me the data uh-huh. is the data coming because if she named something i would call the month the day year and i i have a kind of uh attraction toward historical events not of every department of life but certain ones you know awesome well you come back to the chronicle um doesn't have to be for a movie just if you want to see the marlon brando uh yeah. jimmy cagney whatever files we've got them all here we've got some awesome. really good brando ones and The Fanatic, uh, August 30th. I enjoyed the movie. I don't want to give anything away. I've been kind of careful about even the plot points because it takes some really fun, interesting turns. Love the portrayal of L.A. I love that it's just a new thing for you. And uh, thank congratulations. You. Thanks so much. I yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to John Travolta. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producer is King Kaufman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke. And our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album, Community. 
Read our columns and subscribe to The Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S. Let's go up in the bar.